your life on is going to come to light. And wisdom is building your house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And foolishness is trying to build it on anything else. Being a good husband, being a good father, being a good mother, making a lot of money, leaving an inheritance to your kids, just being a good moral person. Anything you build your life on other than Jesus will reveal itself to be a faulty foundation and there will be loss. The world has a set of standards that they claim are important. Certain achievements are regarded as successful in the eyes of the public. Many strive to build their lives on those things. These things aren't lasting, though, and will never fulfill our heart's desire. Pastor Daniel today encourages us to instead build our lives on the rock of Jesus. His path for our lives may not match the world's standards, but it will reap eternal blessings. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, It's Decision Time. Everybody's trying to articulate the fact that you can make this decision for Jesus and enter by the narrow gate, but then live the rest of your life entering by the wide gate. So you have the veneer of Jesus, but I would call this making that decision unto sanctification. That decision onto, this is me walking with God and I'm not going to cut any corners and I'm not going to pretend like this isn't a serious thing, but I'm really going to do this. And I believe the only way for us to truly enter by the narrow gate, both for our salvation and by faith for our sanctification is to do it in community. To do it in community. Because there's something that happens when brothers and sisters walk together in community where you encourage and exhort one another onto good works. Where somebody knows you well enough to see you entering by the narrow gate by believing in Jesus, but sitting on the side of the road and not growing at all. And would to God that each one of us, we engage in true relationship, that we don't think of church as just a feeding station, kind of like Burgerville, where you just go in, you get your burger, and then you leave, but you come and you get your burger, and you sit down, and you become part of what this place is. And what's awesome about a church this size is that nobody can say that there's not opportunity. But it's decision time, brothers and sisters. It's time to say, look, I am going to enter by the narrow gate and I'm going to keep going. I want that life destination and not the destruction destination. Now in verse 15, look at what happens next. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So before we had two types of gates, now we have two types of fruit. And this section teaches us something very simple. Be discerning to follow fruit. 
Be discerning to follow fruit. Now, remember last week, Pastor Bill said, he explained to us, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged with whatever measure you use will be measured back to you. And he unpacked what it means to be judge. And that judging in its sinful is what's in our hearts when we think we're in the judge's seat. Now here, we're told to beware of false prophets who look great on the outside, but on the inside, they're ravenous wolves. And he said, you will know a tree by their fruit. So Jesus is not encouraging us to judge other people, but he is saying we should be fruit inspectors. You will know a tree by its fruit. I think this is important because we live in a day and age, and I talk a lot about the day and age that we live, and I do that because we're so entrenched in the day and age that we live that oftentimes we don't really think too much about what we're experiencing. We live in an entertained culture. So what goes on within spirituality, within Christianity, is people look for people who are entertaining. Now, I'm not saying that entertaining is bad, and I kind of think I can tell a pretty good joke from time to time. But the reality is, is God doesn't want us to follow someone who is charismatic. He wants us to follow people who have character. Most of us are willing to be spiritually entertained by somebody who is charismatic, and it doesn't much matter what their character is. So we need to be discerning. What is the fruit of somebody's life? And you want to follow somebody who the fruit of their life is good fruit in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is good fruit is not necessarily drawing a crowd. If you think about in the Old Testament, if you were to do an evangelism conference, Jonah would be called because when Jonah preached, the whole city of Nineveh got saved. But Jeremiah wouldn't get the nod because he preached for a long time and practically nobody got saved. But if you know your Bible, who was faithful to the Lord? Whose heart was right to the Lord? Jeremiah, right? Jonah was all mad, grumpy, running the other way, getting swallowed by a whale, getting barfed up on shore, preaching. Everyone gets saved and he's mad about it. Now, don't get me wrong. Jeremiah and Jonah both get saved by the grace of God. But the reality is, is most of us would say, man, I want Jonah for my evangelism conference. Man, God uses that guy, but his heart's a mess. And then there's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet in jail. No one's listening to him. God has hardened the people's hearts. But Jeremiah's heart was right towards the Lord. So listen, you guys, we need to make sure that we are not impressed with charisma but we are looking for character and that we are discerning to follow fruit. See, these false prophets, their issue was their own self-interest. They came, they looked great. They were in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they were ravenous wolves just wanting to devour. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. And then he gives a great little picture. Do you gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? If you have a great orange tree in your backyard, do you expect that thing to put forth onions? No, right? Rose bushes, do you expect a rose bush to put forth grapes? No, right? It's a rose bush to put forth roses. You will know them by their fruit. And would to God that you and I 
would follow based on fruit. Now, people always say then, well, what's fruit that we should look at? We should pay attention to the manner of living someone shows. What does their life look like? How do they live? Second, we should pay attention to the content of their teaching. Is somebody teaching you the Bible? It's really easy when someone, oh, he's just a good person, but you know, his doctrine's a little shoddy, you know, but he's a really nice person. Not so sure about that. So their manner of living, the content of their teaching, and what is the effect of their teaching? Are people growing? And people always say, well, how do you know if someone's growing? And I'm like, the key to knowing if someone is effective is if there's repentance in people's lives. There's repentance. That people hear the word of God and they say, you know what? I need to change the way that I live. That's the key. So we want to be discerning to follow fruit. Be careful. There's a lot of people out there who do the Jesus thing, the religion thing, just to make a buck. It's very common. Now, so we've seen two gates. We've seen two types of fruit. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many of you will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now we find that there are two types of followers. There are two types of followers. And the contrast here is between what someone says and what somebody does. Do you notice that? Many who say to me, Lord, Lord, shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You can explain these three verses simply by saying this. It's all about God's will, not our words or our works. It's all about God's will, not our words or our works. Because right here, and this is a challenging verse and section for us, because Jesus says, in effect, that there are many people who call me Lord and do all sorts of things in my name who actually are not doing my will, and I don't know them at all. I mean, let's just let it sit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and in Hebrew and in Jesus' culture, when something is repeated, it has emphasis. Like Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's there for emphasis. In the prophet Isaiah, it says, he shall keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. In the Hebrew, it says, he shall keep him in shalom, shalom, which is translated as amplified peace. And always that repetition always has the effect of fervency or amplification. So what we have is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom, it says. And then he goes on to say, I mean, because I read this, I'm like, man. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? So there are people who call Jesus Lord who they don't even know him. And there are people who do what seems to be mighty acts in his name, prophesying, 
in the name of the Lord, casting out demons in the name of the Lord, doing signs and wonders in the name of the Lord. But Jesus says, be away from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. So we should never be content. We should never be content with trusting in our own words or in our own actions. Charles Spurgeon said, if preaching could save a man, Judas would not have been damned. If prophesying could save a man, Balaam would not have been cast away. See, God looks at our hearts and God is not as concerned with our values of success as he is with us simply knowing him, having a relationship with him, walking with him. See, and I'm just going to be vulnerable with you guys for a second. For a long time in my pastoral ministry, I tried to justify myself Sunday by Sunday teaching as if I could preach my way into God's good graces. But the reality is, is that I am not going to stand before God and say, Lord, I preached as faithfully as I knew how your word. If God said to me today, Daniel, I want you to step aside from preaching. My relationship with God doesn't change one bit. If we really think about it. I mean, I'm blessed to do this and don't worry, God's not calling me to do that. Some of you are like, darn, you know. But the reality is, the reality is, is it's all about what is God's will for our lives. Lord, what is your will for me? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? And I really believe that the seeking of God's will for our lives is something that we don't do enough of. There are some of you right now who are in a job and God wants you to be in that job with your heart in that job, not worrying about another job. There's some of you who are in a job and God called you out of that job 10 years ago to go take a step of faith, but you are not willing because you feel very comfortable where you are. See, we need to come to the Lord every day, waving the white flag of surrender in our hearts, saying, God, my life is yours. What do you have for this life? And what good is it to raise our hands in the sanctuary and say, Lord, thank you, Jesus. But when we walk out of here, we're walking in rebellion to what God has asked us to do. See, God wants each one of us, all of his family, in love with him and on mission in the world. And if he is the captain of his own army, we have to be willing to take marching orders. Are you open to the will of God? You might be saying, listen, Lord, I'm being used mightily right here. God, you're using me right now. I think of John Patton. A lot of people don't know John Patton. John Patton was a young man and he was living in England and God was using him. He had a booming ministry to street kids. Four, 500 street kids would come and they would come and he would preach and people were getting saved and it was wild. But God was birthing in John Patton's heart a passion to go onto the mission field to a place at that time which was called New Hebrides. Today it's called Vanuatu. It's interesting, for the last four years, Vanuatu has been voted the most beautiful place in the world to visit. It's an island a decent ways away from Australia. But what's interesting is when John G. Patton felt called to go there, Vanuatu was inhabited by people who ate people, cannibals. 
And the last time European missionaries went to the New Hebrides as a boat came and they got in a little rowboat to row to shore, the people in the boat watched in horror as the missionaries who got to the ground got clubbed and eaten to death. And John Patton, there was a stirring in his heart to bring the gospel to these cannibals, these people who were so far outside of Christ. And when he went, people were like, what are you doing? God is using you right now. You're going to be eaten by cannibals, they said to him. And you know what, John Patton, you got to love sometimes the zealousness of youth. Because he was talking to one of the elders in his church. He said, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I might get eaten by cannibals, but you are well advanced in years, and soon you're going to die, and your body's going to be eaten by worms. So if your body's eaten by worms and my by cannibals, either way, we're going to be raised up anew in Christ. Check this out. John Patton went to New Hebrides, and it was nasty. You can read his autobiography. Read it. He spent years there running for his life. But people started getting saved. And now, 120, 130 years later, Vanuatu is the most beautiful place in the world to visit. But you could have very easily said, John Patton, you stay right there. God is using you. 500 young people. I mean, but John Patton feels called to follow the will of God. The question, the decision that we all need to make today, it's, am I living my life in the center of God's will for me? Or am I, am I dragging my feet like Lot did when God was trying to deliver him from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Am I dragging my feet? Am I willing to come and worship and be used of God, but in a place that God hasn't called me to be anymore? What is God's will for our lives? And then look what happens in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended. The floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine but does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So we had two gates, we had two types of fruits, we had two types of followers and now we have two types of builders. And now the contrast is really between hearing and doing. The last one was saying and doing, now it's hearing and doing. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. These verses are simple. Wisdom or foolishness is found in the foundation. Wisdom or foolishness is found in the foundation. In the end of the day, the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are not meant to be admired. They're meant to be obeyed. And here we have two people. They both have houses. You could say the houses look exactly the same. The one difference is between what was the house built on. And what's interesting, if you think about two houses, one built on a firm foundation on the rock and one built on the sand, they look exactly the same until the wind and the waves, until the trials come. And the person who built his house on the rock, when the storm of life comes, that house will stand although maybe weather-beaten. And the house that is built on the sand when the storms of life come will fall apart. So you always ask yourself, 
What's the rock? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We live in a day and age where people can build glorious houses, but when push comes to shove, when the wind and the waves of life, the storms of being alive happen, either in this life or at the final judgment seat, at that point, whatever you built your life on is going to come to light. And wisdom is building your house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And foolishness is trying to build it on anything else. Being a good husband, being a good father, being a good mother, making a lot of money, leaving an inheritance to your kids, just being a good moral person. Anything you build your life on other than Jesus will reveal itself to be a faulty foundation and there will be loss. Now I want to close with these last two verses here because look at this. And so it was, verse 28, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus finishes and the people are astonished at what he's saying and the authority with which he's saying it. So I want to close our time today with a simple question. Are you astonished enough to follow Jesus? Are you astonished enough at this man's message to say, I am willing to follow Jesus? Because everything we've talked about, the two gates, and we should take the road less traveled, that narrow gate, he's saying, listen, enter by me. When we look at the two types of fruit, the two types of fruit are rooted in who follows Jesus? Because as we follow Jesus, righteousness will be the fruit. As we look at the two types of, really everything we've talked about here, the two types of builders, as we look at the two types of followers, it all boils down to this. Whoever is following Jesus, whoever's building their life on Jesus, whoever's not worried about what they're saying, what they're doing, but that they're right with Jesus. Those are the people who live in blessing, both in this life and the next. So the question for each one of us today is, are we astonished enough to follow Jesus? I pray that if you haven't begun to follow Jesus, that you make that commitment right now. Because you don't want to find all that you've built crushed by the storms of life and ultimately at the judgment seat. You don't want to find that you're on the easy road through the wide gate and everybody's there, but it's leading you to destruction. You don't want to be somebody who's bearing bad fruit. And the last thing we want is to be a bunch of people who think that we're saved, but we don't even know him. And what's awesome is it's not my job. It's not, I love this. It's not my job to tell someone who's saved. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, commit your life to him and follow him, God's got you. You're his. But the choice is ours in this moment. Jesus is God has a plan for each of our lives, and as Pastor Daniel reminded us today, we need to choose to follow that plan. 
Resisting is not an option that will yield any good results. Following God is our choice, but today is the day to make that decision. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Life can be crazy busy at times. I don't know about you, I can go through the whole day blowing through my calendar and by the end I can think, where did the time go? Did I even spend it well or wisely? Did I pause and take a few moments to reflect on how good God is and how amazing His love is and to pray for those in my life and those around me in the world? Well, I found something that helps me remember. I wear a real leather bracelet all throughout the day. That bracelet catches my eyes and it's a constant reminder of what God is doing in my life and in the world around me. Every time I wear the real bracelet, I'm prompted to pray and to give thanks. And I want to make this bracelet available to you as well. Here's Josh with some more information about how you can get your very own real bracelet. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Right now, you can help support Jesus' Real Radio and receive a tool that will help you remember the important things. A craftsman at Crossroads Community Church handmade leather bracelets with the word real on them. Like Pastor Daniel, when you wear your real bracelets, you'll have a constant reminder to pray and give thanks. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more, we will send you your very own real bracelet as a way to say thanks. Remember, your support helps us to do what we do here at Jesus is Real Radio. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner to join the team and receive your thank you gift. Today's message concluded this series on learning to grow in Jesus. As we continue to learn more and more about our Savior, Pastor Daniel wants us to remember that we will also grow in our faith. And that faith will then shine out to people around us. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will begin a brand new series next time. Until then, may God bless.